0: We are continuing our series on the book of Psalms and we've selected certain Psalms to, uh, to respond to what God is seeking for us and to worship him faithfully with our lives. Lucas kicked it off last week with Psalm 8 where he, he looked at Psalm 8. There's this illustration, there's this description of the heavenlies and all of creation and in the middle of that, humans were created different. We were created different for a different purpose. And God specifically put that in our lives so we could follow him faithfully, so we could worship him through our actions, so we could glorify him. Like the Westminster Catechism says, like our purpose in life is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. There's a timestamp on that. It's forever that we glorify and it's forever that we enjoy God. And part of our life is to do that, to enjoy God and worship him forever and, and enjoy him forever and worship him, glorify him. You know it, I said it right the first time. But now, What we were doing is we were looking at that statement, the purpose in life. Okay, we understand the purpose is to glorify him, but what actually does that look like? How do we glorify God with our life? Have you ever wondered that? Was your purpose in life? I think we make it too complicated sometimes. And so we're going to look at a passage where David reflects on this and he writes this psalm. And so the psalm we just read is actually the psalm we're going to look at, Psalm 23. Psalm 23. Psalm 23, it's incredibly significant. In fact, it's one of the most read and known psalms in all of Scripture. If you were to Google the most Googled psalm in all of Scripture, Psalm 23 would be number one. But it's more significant than that to people. Because if you Googled the most Googled passages in all of Scripture for Of the top 10 verses in all of scripture come from Psalm 23. It's incredibly significant. It's simple. No one one can read that and not understand or have some uh, some sort of understanding of who God is and how he reveals himself through that psalm. It's very simple. A child could read it and get something significant from it. A high schooler could read it and get something significant from it. Even adults could read it and get something significant from it. Well, it's very simple in the way it's written, but there's also some complexity? complexity towards what is going on in there that if you just read it, you would miss out without understanding the context that David wrote it in. Because it starts off with this incredibly simplistic statement, the Lord is my shepherd. But that means a whole lot. And we as people here in America, we don't quite understand what a shepherd is. That was incredibly significant to people in Israel. Their country was founded on shepherds. Abraham himself, when he came from Ur to the land of Canaan, was blessed by God with a flock so he could shepherd the flock. And he passed that down and passed it down. And so a person from Israel would look at that, the Lord is my shepherd, and there would be even a, there would be a heart tied, intertwined with the actual statement that they get it in such a way that we don't get it. For example, how many of you have actually, when y'all drove to church this morning, drove saw a shepherd on the way here? Anybody? Nobody did. Oh, one guy did, but I think he's fibbing. No, when you, when you see a shepherd, if you get to experience what a shepherd's life is like, it's different than what we expect possibly. And there's some little intricacies that you might not realize that a shepherd does within his life and what he has to be in control over. And for David, that was incredibly personable to him. So let's let's get into this. The Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23. That's the first statement. The Lord is my shepherd. Notice who the Lord is, the shepherd. Who is he? The sheep. The man of the greatest significance in Israel at this time chose to be called a sheep. And rightfully so. He put himself in the most humble of positions under the shepherd's care. And then he goes on to describe it. I've already told you that shepherds are the ones that uh, helped found the whole nation of Israel. But David himself was a shepherd. If you haven't read that before, I'm sorry to spoil it. You'll get to it eventually if you read your Bible. But David was a shepherd before he was ever a king. And when he shepherd, he actually had a lot of time with the flock and he, inter- he interacted with them and they led them. And it's incredibly significant in scripture as well. Over 116 times shepherd is used. Most of the time it's used in Genesis in the beginning. Then it's used in Psalm a lot with David and some of the stories about David. But the majority of it is actually used in the prophetic literature. And then Jesus brings it back up. Specifically in John chapter 10 where he says, I am the good shepherd. Fulfilling the statement in Psalm 23 of what Jesus or what David said about who he didn't know was Jesus but he knew as God. The Lord is his shepherd. It's incredibly significant. Jesus makes a lot of statements about shepherds within his passage as well. He says that the sheep hear his voice and they recognize him. And it's distinctively different than everyone else's. So when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, he knows because he has been among flock and he knows when he calls out to the sheep, they respond to him immediately because he was the one in control of them when he was a shepherd, right? And so when he hears the Lord call out, he should respond faithfully and just listen, unhindered, which is really important. So let's look at the Lord being the shepherd. Now, to look at how the Lord is a shepherd, I wanna use an illustration that you can't see. You're gonna to have to imagine this, and I'm gonna draw it for you, okay? It's called a shepherd's staff. Have y'all ever seen a shepherd's staff? Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. Shepherd's staffs come in various heights, I learned. You can get a shepherd's staff in any kind of height. It's whichever one suits you best. Most of them would get to a little bit of above head height because you have to use it for certain things. But there's a long part of the sh- staff that's called the shaft, And it's straight and it goes up and it's usually at least head height, just that part by itself. And that's fairly significant. And then, but if it was just that, it would just be a stick, it'd be a walking stick. There wouldn't be any significance to it. But then it has what's called a hook on it, right? And that's called the shepherd's hook or the shepherd's crook, whatever you want to call it. And it hooks around. And that's another part of the shepherd's staff that's significant. But if it was only the shaft with the hook, then there would be some issues because the shepherd's staff was used actually to grab and lead sheep. And so you would reach out with the hook and you would grab sheep around the leg or the neck to pull them out of danger or to get them uh, out of some tanglement or something like that. I don't know what shepherds actually did, but they used to grab sheep. I knew that. But there's another part that's more significant because even if it had that hook and it had that shaft, it'd just be a really large cane, right? But there's something at the end, and it's a technical term, it swirls out like this, and it's called a whoop. So it comes up, goes around a hook, and the whoop comes out. And the whoop is there to do one thing, okay? It's there to not harm, but to help the sheep. Because if it was just the hook, whenever the, sheep, the shepherd would grab the sheep around the leg or around the neck, it would puncture it when it pulled it back, right? And it would cause damage, But the shepherd isn't there to damage the sheep. The shepherd's there to care for the sheep. And so these parts of the shepherd's hook are gonna help us understand Psalm 23. The part that's very significant that makes it stands out is that little S-shaped whoop right there. That's the statement, the Lord is my shepherd right there on that little S-shape because it makes it different. And this Psalm is different because David calls the Lord his shepherd. By the way, that's the word pastor and where pastor comes from. It's a French word, pastor. And for us that have this occupation, we're called to be shepherds over God's flock, not our flock. And so if you don't hear my voice, that's okay. You're responsible for listening to God. And that's what I have to tell myself over and over again. That was a joke. It didn't go well. I'll do better next time. It goes on, though, and it goes on with our first point. So we have the whoop right here, and then we have the hook. The hook consists of four parts, and we're going to see the four responsibilities of a shepherd. Number one, the shepherd provides provision. The shepherd provides. This is what he does. It says, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. The first statement is, I lack nothing. When you memorize this verse as a little kid, most likely you learned, I shall not want, right? That's actually not the best translation of the phrase. It's actually focused on the shepherd and his provision and not what you need. The statement is, I lack nothing. That the shepherd completely provides all that you need. You Bring it to the right place that you don't need anything else. There's nothing that you long for. There's nothing that you seek. It's just provided for. I lack nothing is very significant. Nothing is not an unintentional word, it's incredibly intentional. If you had nothing, you would know it. But if you lack nothing, you wouldn't know it. That would just be life. And that's what the shepherd provides. The rest of the statement is, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Very interesting. Because where David was a shepherd, there weren't that many green pastures around. And they weren't lush fields like manicured lawns or the perfect greenery that you could possibly see. It wasn't like that. This, this area that David grew up in is it was, it was a place where you had to keep the flock moving. You'd go to a hillside, they graze a hillside, they find all the shrubbery and all the greenery on the hillside, but then they'd have to keep moving and they keep going. And actually, believe it or not, that's actually what a shepherd wants. A shepherd wants to walk his flock, he wants to have them graze and move around. Because what happens if things get, if, if they come to a place where they have to stop? Sheep get a little ornery. Did y'all know that? Maybe not. They get a little ornery. And what happens if you actually do come to a great field where there's, there's places that are better than other places, there becomes this time where sheep fight over the good places. And the larger sheep end up fighting younger sheep and smaller sheep to butt them out of the way. And they'll hit them with their head and they'll butt them out of the way. And it hurts too. Now, they do something weird. Sheep sheep do something weird whenever they start to the charge. They lock their legs. This does not seem like the most athletic position, but it's something that they do. And they come like this, and they start with their head up. They dip it down, and they headbutt. That is my illustration of what a sheep does. I'm not going to perform it again. That's a one-timer. But what happens is when they hit the sheep, they butt it out of the way. If the sheep does not move, they will continue to butt it. In fact, you never lay down while grazing because this is incredibly dangerous. Because if a smaller sheep or a sheep lays down while grazing, the other sheep will come up and butt them because that's the place they want now because that person just claimed that spot. And so there's a lot of hostility. So naturally within shepherding a herd, you want to keep them moving so that they don't fight amongst themselves. But that's not what this describes. This describes a pasture that's so lush and so great, there's nothing worth fighting over because everybody's got all they want. This pasture does not exist in Israel. And I'm not sure where it exists. But I know that the Lord provides that. It's a dream, it's a perfect pasture. And so when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. That leaves them completely open. But there's no danger because everybody's got plenty. Do we truly lean on God for his provision? I mean truly, I mean really lean on God for what he provides. Are you conscious of that? Do you thank God for your blessings that you've received? I mean really lean on God for his provisions and what he provides. Is he enough for you? Typically sin when it enters our life is because we trusted in something else other than what God's provided. And usually the person that turns back from sin has rejected that thing that they believed that was false and ran back to God because they knew he was the only one that provides. And there's just this sense of, oh, yes. I think in America and in Dallas, we, we actually trust on three different things. We tend to trust in um, money, title, or jobs, career, and other people. And sometimes we put our trust in those things instead of God himself. And it's a lie to do that. just monetarily, I don't know if you know this or not, but there was a study in 2010 put out by Princeton University that said that, there was, um, that people uh, were happy or reached a place of contentment when they made $75,000 a year. Any amount over that does not increase their happiness anymore. In fact, it goes up and down is what they realized. It, if we inflate that to today's prices, it comes out to about 87,000, which sounds like a good amount of money, actually. It does, it sounds like a good amount of money. But what it did was it caused people to actually go and research this. And people researched it and researched it. They did their own studies and they found out actually it has nothing to do with the amount of money you have. Your happiness has nothing to do with the amount of money you have. Now you need enough to be able to survive. But once you get to that place where you feel content, um, that contentment, that happiness, it has more to do with how you earned it and who you are. That's actually correlates with happiness more so than your money. And it's a lie just to trust in money. Then there's the career thing. Many people are unhappy with their careers, but a lot of people have jobs in America. I just read that unemployment is lower than it's been since the 80s or even earlier than that in America right now. Now, that's not accounting for whether or not people are earning a livable wage or not, but it means that people do have jobs. Steve Jobs actually said at a Stanford graduation back in 2005, he said that if you chase and find a job where you seek your passion, then you'll always do excellent work. You'll never, be able to do, you'll never be able to work excellently unless you seek your passion, which led to many people going back to the old idiom that if you find out what you're passionate about, you'll never work another day in your life. Do you know there's studies based off of this? And so great, they can't ignore you. They actually dispel this myth. And actually the hardest, the worst thing you can do is chase your passion. Because you change and your passions change. And then you get locked into a job. Or you become disillusioned based off of the job or based off of that passion. Because you learn a deeper and more truth. And it actually becomes a burden versus a passion. So they said, "What, what actually leads to happiness in a career? Well, there's actually three things. Autonomy. You're in control of your job. Your job's not in control of you. You control your time. If you reach a place of that, you'll be happier in your job, and that correlates across. What about competency? No matter what it is, if you become good at it, if you seek it, if you get good at it, you'll gain a little bit of pride from that, and you'll feel like you belong. And number three, relatedness. Does it impact and influence others? Does it fit? Do I belong in this society? It gives you a place of belonging. Those actually matter more than whether or not it reaches your passion. You could literally do any other job. And if you were able to accomplish those three things, you have a higher probability to be happy. So, careers, a lot of times we are led astray by those. And that way of working is actually what God's called us to do to be excellent in what we do. And then there's people. We're let down by people and the ones that we love often. But typically, the reason that hurt lasts so long is because we love them a lot, but maybe because we didn't love God enough to love through them or love them through God. With people, we become disillusioned by what they can provide for us. We confess and we know they're sinners and God is growing them and working in them. Yet we don't give them the benefit of the doubt, but we ask for a benefit of doubt from us. A humble and forgiving person is actually better to relate to than others. So number one, the shepherd provides. Number two, the second part of that hook. He leads me beside still waters. He refreshes my soul he refreshes my soul, or he restores me. so number two is restoration. so the Lord provides, and the Lord restores us. He cleanses us. You know when David was a shepherd, um, he had to go around to these watering holes, and he knew how to water his flock, right? He knew that the best time to do it was at the highest time, the sun was the hottest, that's when they needed needed it after they have traveled and they have walked out and they were dirty. And they just needed that refreshment, that water. And so he would come to to the place, the well, to water his sheep at noon. Uh, This was common. You see this all throughout Genesis as well. God blessed Israel. He blessed Abraham. He blessed others, Jacob and Isaac, by digging wells and finding places where they could get water. But the well was not just a place to drink and be refreshed that way. The well was also a place where you washed off. It's the way it was where you washed your face, you washed your hands, your arm, the dirt. It was also a place where you treated wounds. It was a place where you came and you were hurt and you just got that refreshment, that restoration. It gives allusions actually back to worship in the tabernacle as well, that you would cleanse yourself before go worshiping, that you would treat your bandages and those sort of things um, before you went and worshiped uh, the Lord. You would make sure that you were cleansed. And that's what this describes. This quiet waters here isn't a well though. This is a natural spring that goes on and on and on. It never runs out and there's plenty for everybody. It's a place that you could just reside. You could always trust in it. It would always be fresh and it would always be good. And the shepherd leads me beside the quiet waters. Not rushing so bad that I can't get a drink, but feeling just so good that it's cleansed and it's perfect. You see... The people that I see that have been refreshed and restored by God are sometimes the most grateful people I've ever experienced in my life. Those that turn back to the Lord, those that come back to Him, those that feel a refreshment and revival in themselves. It's because they trusted God and they lean on nothing else. They've been cleansed and they're so grateful for it. And I think whenever we wish that we had a relationship with God like we used to, I think a lot of us think of this restoration period. We look back and we're like, I want to feel that freshness again. But that freshness is there to cleanse you after you've gone and done your work and you've led and you've followed the Lord, which leads into our third one. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Sheep don't follow the shepherd, the shepherd leads the sheep. And so these right paths or places that get them to place where they could be restored by the fresh water, or they can go find these grazing lands, and they could just reach safety in case there's danger. Maybe because of, I don't know, some sort of natural storm or something like that coming in. It was really important that you knew which paths to take, because actually in Israel, a lot of these paths end up being rushing rivers and ravines that you can get swept away by floods pretty easily depending on where you are. And so it's really important that you understand the terrain. I'm convinced this is actually why David was such a great soldier and such a great leader of men. He knew the terrain. He knew how to get around. He knew how to escape. He knew which caves to hide in. He knew which routes to go to get away from the army that's coming one way because he knew what way they would go. Because he was a shepherd. He was out in the field. He walked the land. He knew the land and that helped him be able to read the land and respond to it. And so I'm convinced that one of the reasons David was such a good leader was because he knew the right paths. And for the people that followed him, they were always successful because the Lord was his shepherd that guided him and helped him out with those things. My question to you is, do you really follow God? I mean, really. Really, are you leaning on him for his guidance? It's important that we lean on God for his guidance seeking his guidance, listening to his word, reading his word is really important to us. In fact, I've had it described to me that your relationship with the Lord should be a lot like your relationship with your spouse. You see, there's two times where you talk to your spouse. So my wife is named Brooke. Whenever I'm around Brooke in the house, guess what I do? I talk to her. I talk with her. We have a dialogue. I don't ignore her. I don't walk to the other side of the room. I live life with her. I'm around her. I know what's going on in her life. Those are casual conversations. Sometimes they get deep pretty quick, but I'm ready for it because I got a relationship with her. But then that's not enough. I also have to have those special date times where it's just her and I, where we appreciate each other. We enjoy what God's given us. And I spend that time talking just to her. I think your relationship with the Lord should be like that. You should have these important date times, these quiet times, these moments where you just spend with the Lord and just seek Him and just say, you're enough right now. I'm going to pray to you. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to read your word. But there also has to be this intertwined within life where you walk up against somebody and you see them and you see them hurting and you turn to the Lord and you just say, God, I really do. Should I, How do I respond to this right now? I'm seeking your wisdom. Where it's that pray without ceasing type of meditation I mean, how are you gonna know if that person's crazy if the Lord doesn't tell you? You gotta find out. So you got better be talking to him, right? And so you need to seek the Lord with your life. And that's why you lean on him for his guidance. If you know his word and know what he's told you in scripture, you'll have wisdom in life. You don't have to always be the one that's speaking. You have to be the one that's listening to the Lord. When Jesus said, the sheep hear my voice and they know my voice, are you a sheep? That knows the Lord's voice and where to hear it. And the fourth one on that hook, it's a little subtle, but it's also clear. It's one of the most important passages in this scripture. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The Lord the shepherd offers protection from who? From the enemies. You see, we don't know all the ways that the Lord has protected us. But the evidence that we're standing here and I'm standing here is proof that something didn't get me. And I'm grateful for the fact that the Lord has protected me that far. And you can say the same thing about your life. Evidence towards the Lord's protection is based off the fact that you are able to come to this church and worship the Lord yourself. It's true, he's been protecting you. This idea of protection for the shepherd was one that David illustrated and David lived out. It says that he was able to scare off or kill lions and bears away from his sheep and protect them as well. He understood it because he had a sling, right, with a rock. He learned how to do that stuff. He also knew how to protect people spiritually because I think not only did he practice slinging rocks, but he also was one that played the harp out there And maybe wrote psalms. And in fact, whenever he brought, was brought before Saul and he played the harp to calm down his spirit when the evil spirit came upon him, I actually think some of his psalms, he actually sang out loud while he's playing the harp. And those words about God rang true in the halls and comforted Saul. So it's spiritual protection and it is also physical protection as well here on this earth. David knew something about physical protection, especially in his battle with Goliath. How does a shepherd's hook help David in the battle of Goliath. Well, there's something interesting in the phrase whenever David walks out to face Goliath. When he walks out to face Goliath, Goliath looks at him and he is, he's appalled. He can't believe there's a little boy walking out here. And he says, what am I, a dog that you would come at me, not with a rock, not with a sling, but he says with a stick. There was a way to use a shepherd's hook, a shepherd's staff to sling a rock. And I think that's what David did when he killed Goliath. And luckily, we have our Canadian friends that are rednecks that created a video to show you how that's done. So if you would, watch. it's Just basically a sling, but it's tied onto here instead of this one's tied to your finger. And this loop, instead of being looped on your other finger as you flip forward, goes on the end of the stick. Gives you the leverage of the whole pole plus your line here. And you can lock it in so as you're walking around, you can hold it up against the stick and then just be able to flip it down and you're in action mode and boom, you're going for it. Whereas the other slang, you got to you spin it around and you throw it at your game. You might be scaring them off. And tuck it at the ground. See, I actually think what happened was David walked out to Goliath. He dropped his sling real quick and flung it over and called him off guard. And it's not a rock like you would scrip in the water like I always grew up thinking. It's actually a rock that looks like a cue ball in a billiards table. About that weight, about that size as well. Probably a little more dense. And when it hit Goliath with that great whip and knocked him down, David understood how important the shepherd was to protecting his flock and the ones that God had given him. We experience that protection. Do you trust the God to protect you? Or do you walk in a life of fear, worried about what people will say if they find out you're a Christian? You're wondering how you'll be treated if they find out you love Jesus. So the good shepherd, whoop, provides those four things, right? Provides, restores, guides, and protects. But then there's the rest of the shepherd's hook. And that's the ending of this psalm, in my opinion. It's the longest part of the hook. But that's intentional, I think, based off of my illustration. Because what happens is this goes on and on and on and on and on. Listen to this. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, but not just that. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, what I think it says is I think this is an illustration within the greater illustration. The greater illustration is the good shepherd and following him. But within that, what he says when he gets to verse five is he says, this is so good. It's as if I was invited into this banquet by this great king, this great host, really. And this host provided for me. He gave me this unbelievable meal that only kings would eat. And I get to sit before it. And the people that are around me are actually enemies of mine. They're trying to kill me, and they're trying to attack me. But I don't even notice them. My cup overruns. You put oil on my head. You see, whenever you sit at a banquet, you are not dressed for battle. This oil on the head refers back to, you can see in John chapter 7, where actually Jesus responds when the woman puts oil on him and he turns to the people that are hosts. He says, you didn't do that for me. It was something you did for the most dis- distinct, distinguished guests, the people that you just wanted to treat with love and care and you wanted them to take You know, to have a bath, put oil in their hair, put on fresh perfume or or cologne, and then get dressed up really nice. Put on your pumps if you're a woman, put on your nice little, I don't know, pick a shoe, um, if you're a man, and then you walk out and you get to enjoy the banquet. Even though the enemies are around the table trying to attack you, they're not a care in the world because your cup never runs out. You just get to enjoy the presence of the Lord forever. If you follow the Lord As your shepherd, you get to experience that. It's fairly significant. How long does it last? All the days of your life and forever. The words used are goodness, right there, Tov, which actually is significant in the creation story. So it says the creator God. It's his created God, glory. And then also right here it says loyal love, which is the Hesed, which is the covenant God, the God of promise and the God that created you, loves you and you enjoy it forever and ever and ever. One of the interesting things is that you can trace this shepherding flock sheep story all the way to the very end. Revelation 7 says this. We're in the heavenly realm or the heavenly throne room. John asks, who are these people dressed in white? And in the response back, this is what he receives. They will never go hungry or be thirsty again. What, what does that sound like? Provision, right? And the sun will not be down on them nor any burning heat. That's restoration, protection, right? Because the lamb in the middle of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to springs of living water. Restoration. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, protection. Who does that? Well, here's the interesting part the lamb in the middle of the throne will shepherd them. That doesn't happen. The lamb never becomes the shepherd unless the shepherd came down to become a lamb. That's Jesus. He's the one in whom we have hope, He's the one in whom we seek. The purpose of life is this, to glorify God and worship him forever, right? What, how do we live out our purpose? We make this really hard, but the true purpose of man, to live it out, follow the good shepherd. Are you following the good shepherd? As we come to the table, we do this in celebration of what the good shepherd did for us, Actually because a good shepherd will lay down his life for his sheep, which is what Jesus did. And we celebrate this table by proclaiming what Jesus did and proclaiming his death till he comes again. And to do that, we must confess the Apostles' Creed and what it's stated there as we celebrate what he did. And we recite it by saying, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. God, we are so grateful. We are so grateful that the son would come down and become a lamb for us and die for us and then raise back to, from the dead. And Lord, until he comes again, we proclaim that death and we declare it as our own. By your son's name, pray, amen.